This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We got a GoBundance member, but probably, I don't know, a guy who's changed more lives than he even knows, even though he has big goals to do so. His name is Hal Elrod, and I'm going to give him a proper intro. He's a loyal husband to his wife of 11 years, dedicated father to their two children. His mission in life is to foster meaningful connection and create memorable experiences for his family. When not with his family, he's sharing his message as an author, keynote speaker, amongst other things. After surviving multiple near-death experiences and impacting millions of people through his books and speeches, Hal is also on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. I think you've done that. I really do. As the author of 12 books, most notably The Miracle Morning, which is translated into 37 languages. That's crazy. And sold over two and a half million copies. He is doing exactly that. His latest project is the brand new Miracle Morning movie, a documentary that shows how millions of people are transforming their lives by simply changing how they start their day. And it is epic. Hal, welcome. Jamie, thank you for having me, brother. It's always uh, always a pleasure to be with now, you and with, you know, just the the GoBundance crew, man. Yeah, man, this is this is an interview I've sought for a while. So I know how busy it's been and how crazy it's been. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that, how crazy it's been. So, you know, you're uh, you're a speaker, you do all these things, you have the, you're an author, you know, you've been in this identity, if you will, as as an author and speaker and keynote for such a long time. COVID changed a lot for a lot of people, changed for me. Do I stay in my job, in this high-level job, or do I leave it? I decided to leave it. And a lot of people mm. did that as well, right? The great resignation. Yeah. For you, what 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 is COVID, other than, you know, we talked about it before we started recording, other than obviously you had to change maybe the way in which you speak and where you speak and virtual versus in person. But existentially or just, you know, reflectively, what has COVID meant for you? The, the Not the disease, but the this period, this pandemic period. What has it done in your life or been in your life? Yeah, there's been a lot in uh, March 2020, right around that time, right when COVID, you know, kind of hit and it became part of the collective consciousness, if you will. Um, I asked myself, what should I be focusing on right now? And I asked myself that for me. Uh, but also, you know, I've, I've for many, for two decades, I really have viewed my purpose in life is to fulfill my potential so that I can uh, help other people do the same, right? So it's kind of two sides of the same coin. So anytime I'm enduring anything, especially challenging, I'm always looking at what's the lesson in this for me and then that I can share with other people. And so when I asked myself what I should focus on, I realized that, you know, I was focusing on things that were out of my control. And if, if, if you're listening to this and you're a human being in, in the world, right, in the last two years, that which is out of our control has been amplified by every media source. When I say media, I don't just mean the media. I'm talking politicians. I'm talking media. I'm talking, right, um, you know, companies. It's just, it's become part of the collective consciousness, things that are out of our control. And what I realized is that when we focus on things that are out of our control, we feel out of control. As simple as that might sound, like stop and think about that. When you focus on that, which is out of your control, you feel out of control. And that is what creates anxiety. And that's what creates states of fear. And that's what creates depression. And so when I when I got just really clear and aware of that, I went, okay, well, what what's in my control? The only thing I should be focusing on to feel, you know, a sense of um, control over the things that are that I can control is myself. And that's what I realized is the only thing I can ultimately control. I can't control other people or the government or what anybody else is doing. I can only control myself and optimizing myself. And so my practice that, you know, is my life's work, the miracle morning, I just doubled down. And I went, I'm, I'm going to just going to focus on my miracle morning. I'm going to focus on optimizing my mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being so that I can show up every day for myself, for my family, for those that I love and those that I lead in the most effective possible way that I can. Um, and so that's what, for me, that's what it's been. It's realizing it's just been really amplifying, you know, what's out of our control being thrown in our face and realizing that the only thing we can control at the end of the day is ourselves. And the beauty of that is that 
you know, that that's a huge opportunity for us to uh, wake up every day and, you know, and become the, the best version of, of who we can be. How do you double down on that practice? Is it, is it, are you saying like more time, um, more consistency, more focus? What do you mean by doubling down on the practice? That's a great question. Um, so interestingly enough, uh, so there's, there's two parts to how I would answer that. One is it just meant remembering how important it is, right? Like I think we can get in, you know, even though the Miracle Morning is a really powerful, productive, you know, daily ritual, uh, it's still a ritual. And you can get, you know, you can get kind of in a rhythm where it becomes unconscious and you're you're just going through the motions. And I think that's what had happened. Um, I was on chemotherapy for three years uh, when the pandemic hit. It had been about three years. And there's a thing called chemo brain. And it's usually made kind of light of the doctor will say, oh, you, yeah, that's just you, you, you complain of these symptoms. Doc, I'm having trouble with my memory and I'm having trouble processing information and my cognitive abilities. And they go, oh, yeah, that's just chemo brain. They kind of brush it aside. I can tell you as someone that suffered, it's a very real scary thing. And for the first time in my life, I developed anxiety and deep, deep, deep depression, Jamie, where I was thinking of suicide every single day. It was really, it was bad. And I ended up, you know, I led a team of people in the Miracle Morning organization. I let everybody go. I literally fired, other than my assistant, I let our entire team go because I couldn't function. I couldn't show up to meetings. And so against doctor's orders, I said, I'm done taking the chemo. And he said, I, I think you should keep taking it. I said, no, it's, it's, I can't handle it anymore. I stopped taking the chemo. And, uh, and then I asked myself, why am I still feeling depressed when I'm doing my miracle morning every day? Because for those that don't know the backstory, like in 2008, when the U.S. economy crashed, I crashed with it. And I got depressed because I lost my house. I lost my income. I had to move back in with my dad at you know 29 years old and engaged, not, not part of my plan. And uh, I created this morning ritual called the Miracle Morning. And my depression went away almost instantly because the first day I did that Miracle Morning, it wasn't even called the Miracle Morning, it was just my morning routine. But the first day I did it, I felt so inspired and had so much clarity. I, I had been depressed for six months, you know, go, drowning in debt and like, like many other people, very common story. And I did this morning routine and within a couple of months, I doubled my income. Uh, I, I, I committed to run a 52 mile ultra marathon. My depression went away. So such profound transformation that I told my wife, this morning routine feels like a miracle. And she goes, it's your miracle morning. I go, yeah, I like that. Right. So, so, the point is fast forward to 2020 and I went, wait, the miracle morning got me out of my depression in 2008. I'm doing my miracle morning every day. Why am I still depressed? Why am I struggling emotionally? Not to mention, I don't like, there's no problems. I know I had chemo and all of that, but is there, it, why is the miracle morning not working? And I pulled out my, my journals and my affirmations and everything from 2008, 2009, 2010. And so this is an interesting answer to this question because it's what it's the opposite of what people would expect. Doubling down on a miracle morning was when I realized. So first I mentioned the first side of that coin is how important it was that that really focusing on using my morning practice to develop myself into the person that I needed to be to create what I wanted for my life. But doubling down, it actually wasn't about advancing the miracle morning or, or, or trying anything new or different. It was about going back to the basics. I realized that, you know, like we do in our profession, right? In real estate investing, you know, it's, they say, don't, don't lose sight of the one that got you to the dance, right? Um, meaning we, we end up learning advanced techniques and then we get away from the fundamentals. And that's what happened with my miracle morning practice is I'd gotten away from the fundamentals. I was, it was, it was too different. It had, it had lost its, the essential components. And um, so doubling down was actually going back to the basics and, and really approaching it with a beginner's mindset. And once again, it worked within a matter of months, my depression was gone and I was, you know, and, and back to, uh, to, you know, to, to, to back to, to my mission of, of elevating consciousness. When you, when you go through these periods and I want to come back to beginner's mindset, cause that, that there's a question in there, but when you go through those moments, 08, 2020, you mentioned fear, you mentioned anxiety, you mentioned depression. What's your relationship with those in that moment? Are you leveraging them or are you running from them? And is there a difference? Um, how do you mean by leveraging them? 
Like, is it something where you're saying, okay, I've got this depression. Let me use it to get to this place where I double down on my miracle morning or create the miracle morning in the first place. Do you think in those terms or is it like, I got to get rid of this. This has to go. I got to find something else to do to, in order to get rid of this. Or, you know, is it something that you see as like, if somebody's suffering right now from depression or anxiety, is it, Hey, get away from it by doing this. Or is it, Hey, harness and leverage the essence of that to drive you toward whatever it is that you need to do to get you out of it. Yeah. I would say it's both. And so, and even a little bit more. And here's what I mean by that. Hmm. Um, the for sure, I uh, and maybe it's human nature. It's, it's my my personality type. I run from it. I enjoy being happy, like most of us do. And sure. I do not like feeling out of control. I don't like feeling overwhelmed with depression, especially in 2020 after the chemotherapy, when it got to the point of me literally every day thinking, is there a way I could take my own life and not have it negatively affect my wife and children? Like that was the, I was trying to figure out the answer to that question. And thank God there was, couldn't come up with a good answer. So I'm, thankfully I'm still here, right? Because there was no, couldn't think of a good way to do that. You know, but I was literally thinking of how could I run off a, you know, if I drove off a bridge and I maybe wrote a letter to the kids, no, there was, there was no good answer. So for sure I was running away. I didn't want to experience it. It wasn't enjoyable. It was painful. That's an area of growth for me. And I'll tell you, what so that's my superpower has always been like oh i have cancer i'm not going to be depressed i'm not going to be sad i'm not going to be like i'm just going to get through it you know i'm going to i'm going to like maintain a positive the most positive mindset while i endure the most difficult time in my life um so for sure i was trying to get away from it and the area of growth for me is actually to be at peace with all emotions and so if someone's enduring depression right now number 1 it's temporary Right. And that is one thing that I continue to tell myself every day, like that serenity prayer, you know, allow me to, I don't even know what it's serenity prayer is. Right. But it's the, it's the temporary component that this will, this too shall pass. Right. This too shall pass. So that was part of it was, was just really learning how to embrace. I feel depressed. That's okay. Cause think of it this way. Painful emotions are painful, but they become amplified two, three, four, five, tenfold. When you resist that emotion, when you judge that emotion as wrong and you don't, I don't want to feel this way. Why do I feel this way? This isn't right. That judgment, that resistance of reality is, is way more detrimental than the actual initial emotion. So think of it this way. If you're experiencing depression, sadness, anger, whatever, whatever the emotion may be, if you're experiencing it, but you don't resist it, you go, hmm. Interesting. I'm I'm feeling angry right now. Why why is that? What what my is there something here for me to learn? Is there why am I angry? Is there something that I did or someone else did that violated one of my values that is causing me to feel angry? Or I'm that's that's I should I shouldn't say causing me. I don't like ever putting the blame on something else. It's always that is that is creating a stimulus for me to get angry inside, feel angry inside, right? So the point is being at peace with all of our emotions. And that for me was a huge growing opportunity. In terms of leveraging it though, I've been leveraging the way that I view all adversity. It happened when I was 20 years old. Um, I was in a head-on car collision at 80 miles an hour. Uh, I was found dead at the scene. I broke 11 bones. Uh, I came out of a coma six days later to be told I would never walk again. And I had permanent brain damage. And I applied my, what I just shared in terms of, I'm like, well, I can't change it. I accept it. I might as well have a positive attitude in the midst of this. But where the leverage came in was, why did this happen to me? And not from a victim perspective. So, so I'm encouraging you, if you're enduring, whenever you endure struggle, adversity, ask yourself, why is this happening to me? Not from a victim mindset, but from a purpose mindset. What can this experience teach me? What can I learn from this? How can I use this to become a better version of the person that I, that I am now, right? And I, you know, the, my mindset is that every experience is an opportunity for us to learn and grow and become better than we've ever been before. And the more difficult the experience, the greater the opportunity to learn and grow and become better. And so when I was in the hospital in 2000 or yeah, 99, 2000 from the car accident, I asked that question. And, you know, it's funny. I was at that time, I was a sales rep for Cutco and I used to speak at all of our events and I had this dream of being a motivational speaker. And I remember, I remember being in the hospital and telling my dad, I said, dad, look, I've decided if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, this was when I was still told I wouldn't walk. 
I've decided I will be the happiest and most grateful person that you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. And, and it, I, I've decided I will never allow my uncontrollable circumstances to dictate my inner experience of the world, of reality, of my life, my inner, my emotional well-being. And I said, and dad, here's the funny part or funny, whatever. I don't know, it's funny. I said, I, you know, I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker, but I had a really normal life. You and mom were good to me. I haven't really had any, you know, crazy things happen. Maybe that's why this is happening. And as soon as I left the hospital, within weeks, I, you know, I had a cane and I went and spoke at my high school. And then I started a speaking career to high schools and colleges and, you know, and, and that, and that kind of gave birth to my life's work. So to bring, bring this to the, this last, the pandemic 2020, when I was depressed, I had a breakthrough and I went, I've never suffered this kind of depression where I am in such a dark place that I don't want to live. But there are millions, maybe tens of millions of people that have suffered or are suffering from that. And I started to realize once the pandemic hit and people lost their jobs, I started to realize, wow, mental health, if it's not already a crisis, which I think it was before the pandemic hit, sure. it's going to be a crisis. And for me to make the biggest impact that I can make in the world on other people, I have to understand what they're going through. So while as much as I hate the way I feel and I hate feeling so depressed that I, I don't want to live, there's a purpose in this. This is an opportunity for me to, to figure this out, to transcend this depression, however long it takes, and to then develop the abilities to help other people do the same, but to have those abilities with the necessary empathy and understanding to meet people where they are so that I can lead them through what I experienced to, to, you know, to where they want to go. Wow, man. Uh, wow. There's a lot there. I, I want to go back to the beginner mindset here in a second, but I wondered this, and this just, I, I don't know exactly how I'll ask the question, but you've been through I, I, the way I read it in 2000, when you had your accident, the, they thought you were nuts because you were so positive, right? There yeah. wasn't really a depression, at least not outwardly. I don't think you really, I wasn't uh, depressed at all in 2000 at all. Yeah. Right. Yep. No, yeah, but in 08, you, in 08, you went through this. Yes. 2020, mild you went depression. Yeah. Mild depression, more severe in 2020. Uh, and I, I, you know, for me, I, I know that I've gone through, you know, I'm in my forties now I've gone through moments of that as well. And, you know, whenever I come through, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel or realize, I guess, like it's going to happen again. Like I'm going to go through these moments in my life. I call it like a, a battle of a battle inside. It might be between your authenticity and your ego or whatever it is, but something is going to create friction in you again, and maybe depression or anxiety or whatever it is. Does, do you feel, I mean, maybe it is just a miracle morning, but is there a level of preparedness that you have now for the next time that maybe inevitably this happens again? Is there a way that you're thinking about, not like, Hey, okay, wait, next time I'm depressed, you watch what, watch how I'm going to come through it. But like, yeah. are you feeling like, like you need to prepare yourself cyclically for this to happen again in life? Uh, yeah, I, th I think so. Um, I think that uh, for me, you know, one of the greatest lessons I've learned, and I kind of touched on it a few times, but it happened when I had my car accident. The, the lesson I learned a year and a half for my car accident, and I learned it in my Cutco sales training, our manager, my mentor, uh, Jesse Levine taught me the five minute rule. And the five minute rule says that, hey, when something goes wrong, uh, you know, when you experience a failure or a disappointment, uh, when something goes wrong, you set your timer for five minutes. And you literally, we were taught, set your timer on the phone for five minutes. You get five minutes to feel all of the emotions that are coming up. You know, cry, bitch, moan, complain, vent, punch a wall, like whatever you got to do, feel all of it fully. Don't suppress it. And then when the time went up after five minutes, he taught us that there's no value in dwelling for an extended period of time on, you know, destructive emotions, emotional, you know, emotions that are causing you to, to, to feel terrible. And so we were taught after five minutes when that timer goes off, you say three very powerful, but really life-changing words. Can't change it. You acknowledge, I can't change what happened five minutes ago. So there's no point in wishing it were different. There's no value in, 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 in beating myself up or, or dwelling on it or, you know, or, 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 or just, just continuing to be so emotionally distraught. The only logical choice that we have at that point, he taught us, was accept it fully. Just go, okay, this happened. I can't change it, right? Three words, powerful, can't change it. What can I change? What can I control? What can I do now to move forward? And I learned that in the context of, you know, sales, 
you know, missing a goal, having a, a huge order cancel that you had counted on the commission from, um, you know, having an appointment, you know, not show up when you were really looking forward to it or right. So all these disappointments, it was really a microcosm for life. And when I came out of the coma and I was faced with this, this car accident, that's where I was able to quickly get to the point of if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. And to your point, you mentioned this earlier, the doctors thought I was in denial or delusional. I called my parents in one day and they said, we're concerned with Hal. We believe that he is not, he, he is not accepting his reality. He's living in a state of delusion. And he's always, and they said, we believe that because he's always smiling and laughing and happy and telling jokes. And they said, that's not normal. And the irony is their prognosis was completely 180 degrees wrong. They thought I, I he can't accept it. So he's just pretending it's okay and checking out of reality. No, it was the opposite. I, I applied the five minute rule. I said, I can't change that I was in a car accident. So there's no point in wishing I wasn't. There's no point in being a victim. There's no point in feeling sorry for myself. What can I do? I can go to therapy every day and I can maintain faith in myself that I can walk again. Even though they say I'm not going to, I'm gonna focus on what I can control. And so every day I went to therapy and I gave it my all. And every day I visualized walking again and I prayed about walking again. And a week after I came out of the coma, the doctors came in with x-rays and they said, Hal, we don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing in ways that we couldn't have predicted. And we're going to let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy. And I went, you know, I was taken aback and I took my first step and the rest is kind of history, as they say. But what happened is that five minute rule at first, I thought five minutes, I, I need longer than five minutes to be angry. I'm used to being, being upset for, you know, day hours or days. And sure enough, the first time I did the five minute timer, it went off and I go, I'm still upset. This is stupid, right? But what happened is, and for anybody listening, if you're thinking that like five minutes, I need, you know, it's not long enough. Uh, what happened is after I did this for a few weeks, I remember, I literally can remember sitting in my apartment. I remember a woman on the phone being super rude. I was, I felt these feelings of like rejection and I was upset. And I, I set the timer for five minutes and I go, oh, I can't believe that woman. What a, what a, you know, I think I said some choice words. And, uh, and then I picked up my phone after I huffed and puffed for, you know, a, a second. I looked at it and I had like four minutes and 32 seconds left. And I remember going, Again, this is a few weeks after doing this five-minute rule. I go, I, I put the phone down, I picked it back up, and I and I turned it off. And I go, what's the point of stewing in something I can't change for another four and a half minutes when I could just get on the phone and make more calls? I don't need five minutes to accept it. I'm just gonna and it and it became the five-second rule. And and then I want to put a bow on this to to really bring home your question about anticipating this. Yeah, yeah. It evolved to what I call my my philosophy is accept life before it happens. What that means is you understand that all emotional pain is self-created by our resistance to our reality. It's our wishing and wanting that something were different, that can't be different because it's in the past, that causes all of our emotional pain. It's not the thing. We always think it's the thing. Of course, I'm upset. Look at what happened. Look at what she did. Look at what he said. Look at what, of course, I mean, right? No, we, we always point at something as the cause of what we're feeling. But the real reality is, no, once you accept that those things happen, you give yourself the gift of peace. It's the resistance, the wishing and wanting it didn't happen that is actually the cause of emotional pain. So accepting life before it happens means that you decide, okay, I've got more stuff coming down the pipe. I got more disappointment and failure and loss and you know catastrophic events, they're coming. I'm gonna accept that those things are gonna happen before they even happen so that I don't have to experience you know unnecessary emotional pain. And when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was given a 20 to 30% chance of living that day, I just, I, I mean, literally when the doctor told me, I went, okay, I've already accepted that things like this were going to happen. Not this one specifically, but um, how can I make the most, best of it? And I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, she was bawling her eyes out when I, you know, I, I went home and told her I had cancer. And I said, I promise you, just like with my car accident, I will be the happiest and the most grateful I have ever been while I endure the most difficult time in our lives. And, um, you know, and, I, and I, I'm here for you to feel whatever you need to feel, but uh, I, I can't change that I have cancer. So I'm going to do the best I can to get through it. And then once again, the doctors were kind of blown away by how quickly my body healed and the cancer cells were not detectable anymore. And, you know, I believe so much because of those experiences in, in that mind-body connection. 
there any ill effect from coming off of chemo? I wanted to ask you that. You mentioned you decided to come off it. Yeah, the healing you experienced, I mean, chronicled in the movie. Unbelievable movie, by the way. But what what did you, have you seen any ill effects? How long has it been, if you don't mind me asking? I got off chemo May of 2020. Um, so it's been a year and a half. Uh, no, I mean, my, I, you know, my blood work, my ev everything improved, you know, and that's the thing about, I mean, that's a whole nother episode about uh, the, the, the Western medical system sure. and how they poison us with chemotherapy, but they, they know nothing. I, my doctors knew nothing. And these are some of the best, you know, oncologists, if, I mean, literally some of the best in the world that like go give talks at other on to other oncologists. Um, but they knew nothing about the, the rural diet played. My oncologist literally told me on day one, eat whatever you want. As long as you do the chemo, I go, are you kidding me? Like, you know, it just, it just, it was, it was a mess, but no, so no negative effects from getting off the chemo. My cancer is no, you know, nowhere to be found, uh, no signs of it coming back. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm finally able to rebuild my body. You know, they, um, I, I, I started chemo, you know, five or so years ago, got off a year and a half ago. And I don't like, I don't count my, you know, when I like my cancer journey to me, it's once I stopped poisoning my body a year and a half ago, not once they declared me in remission, which was like three months after I started chemo, right? Like I still kept poisoning my body after that. So, and I will say this, let me just give one tip. If anybody's yeah. listening to this yeah. and you have cancer or you know someone that has cancer, the best advice that I can give you um, is to not, if you're going to do chemotherapy, like that's like, I, I, I opted to do it. If you're going to do whatever, whatever the, you know, Western medicine, whatever your doctor's telling you, uh, I support that. Here's what I encourage you to do. Be on, take responsibility for your health, for your healing. Do not leave it up to the doctor. Do not leave it up to the hospital because they have a limited set of tools that they are using to try to help you. And for me, it was going on a mission of I'm going to combine the best of Western medicine with every holistic practice that I can possibly integrate into my healing. And I did coffee enemas three times a week. I did a raw vegan diet. I took 70 supplements that I vetted to make sure they didn't have any crap in them and magnesium steroid and all of that. Um, I did lymphatic massage. I did ozone sauna. Uh, I did um, meditate my miracle morning every day. And I meditated on healing my cells and my body. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And I'll share one resource. There's a lot out there, but one of my favorite resources is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, chrisbeatcancer.com. And Chris is someone that was at like stage three or stage four cancer. Doctor said, if you don't do chemo, you'll die. He did zero chemo, zero radiation, 100% holistic. And he's been cancer-free for like 14 years. And then he went on a mission of interviewing the best holistic doctors in the world to bring that to people. So again, chrisbeatcancer.com. That was one of my favorite resources to learn uh, about all the holistic practices. Uh, look, if you don't mind, we'll go there for a little bit. We'll come back to, I want to talk miracle equation because you sure. mentioned faith in there. And I love the concept of unwavering faith uh, and extraordinary action. Um, but, but now you said you stopped poisoning your body uh, two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, what yeah. is, what does it look like today? I know you've got this incredible concoction you put together, the shake that you make with like 8,000, 9,000 different <laughs> ingredients in it or whatever. But like, what does that look like today for you? What, what does stop poisoning your body mean? And what is the diet today? Is it everything you described, the supplements, all of that still, or is it modified? Yeah, so it's no pharmaceuticals for sure. Um, unless, you know, there's an acute thing where I've got a migraine that, you know, that I, it, well, I mean, sure. so that rarely will I put something that's, that's a pharmaceutical or even over the counter, no Tylenol, no Advil, no, no, nothing that, that, that wasn't made in nature, right? Mm -hmm. Like that for me is it. So that, um, uh, so yeah, so no, no pharmaceuticals, um, and unless, you know, absolutely necessary. Yeah. And then for me, uh, I wake up every morning. Um, so I do green tea first thing in the morning. That's how I start my day. And green tea has got a lot of anti-cancer properties, plus gives you a real nice mental, you know, and physical energy boost, but with L-theanine, all green tea contains L-theanine, which balances out the caffeine. So you have a nice kind of energetic, you know, you get a little energy, but it doesn't have the crash that comes with like coffee. And then I do Saturday and Sunday are kind of my cheat days where I do drink coffee uh, on Saturday and Sunday, but green tea Monday through Friday. I drink a lot of water throughout the day. Um, and then I do a smoothie, uh, which, and you can actually get the smoothie recipe at, uh, what is it? MyMiracleMorning.com. There's a bunch of bonuses there from the book. 
One is the smoothie recipe that I that I drink every morning. Um, it's going to look like you're going to think, oh my gosh, it's got garlic in it. It's got ginger in it. I, I can't handle that. A, you can leave, you know, if you can't do ginger, you can leave it out. Um, but it actually tastes really good, believe it or not. And it's got, like you said, 9,000, I mean, it's got like 25 different ingredients, herbs and powders and all sorts of uh, organic ingredients. So I do that. Um, and then uh, I have a salad for lunch and it's a really robust salad. I'm, I'm big on high fat diets. My smoothie has Brazil nuts in it. It has um, a handful of pecans in it. It's got a lot of fat in it and a lot of protein. Uh, and then same thing with my, my salad at lunch. It has uh, pistachios, sunflower seeds, avocados. So it's a very high fat vegan salad. Um, and then uh, I have a second smoothie. I, I make a huge smoothie. I have it broken in two. So I have the second half in the afternoon around 3.30. And then I have whatever my wife makes for dinner, uh, which usually she'll make some, you know, a couple times a week, grass-fed steak, um, some, you know, wild caught. Actually, I don't do fish anymore because of all the mercury and um, other things. I don't do, I only do fish from streams, mm. right? So if it's been in the ocean, our oceans are so polluted, mm. I will not eat it, um, but I will eat uh freshwater fish like salmon that's been up upstream, although not farm-raised salmon. I just read the other day an interesting uh, article on how it's one of the unhealthiest foods that we can eat, which back in the day, I used to have that all the time, just wow. farm-raised salmon, which is where most restaurants are getting their salmon. Um, so yeah, I encourage you to do a little research on that if you eat salmon like that. Um, and then, or, but she'll make, you know, she'll make chicken. She'll make, she does usually like chicken two nights a week, beef two nights a week, you know, grass fed beef, uh, vegetarian two nights a week. Right. So she kind of mixes it up and, uh, and then that's it. And then I do, I do a very small amount. I I have a sweet tooth, (laughs) but I, I learned, you know, I, I basically, I, I scrape a few bites out of the ice cream and that's it. I mean, literally. So one pint of ice cream that has three servings will give me like 10 servings. I just, just get just a little bit just to, just to give me that, that, that flavor. But uh, yeah, minimal sugar. That's discipline. That's discipline. I have a, an insatiable sweet tooth as well, but man, that's, that's inspiring. I mean, I love that it's a shift, right? You took this and this is what you are now. It's not something you're doing. There's no willpower. I don't believe in. No, it. no it's just, it, I love my smoothie. I love my salad. Like, and that's the thing is I tweaked them until they taste really, really good. So yeah. they're super healthy. And, and let me say this. One of the things that helped me, the mindset shift I made around diet was most of us eat for taste right? You think about it. You go to a restaurant, you look at the menu and you go, mm, what looks good? Ooh, ooh, yeah, that looks yeah. good. Right. It's oh, like wow. this, um, it's eating's an emotional sport. Mm-hmm. You literally, it's this emotional reaction of, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, they have that on the menu. Like, think about that, right? You're literally yeah. letting your sure. emotions dictate what you put in your mouth. And, uh, and here was the distinction. Here's the mindset shift. Um, eat. Uh, oh, it's, it's choose to value the consequences of the food you eat above the taste of the food you eat. Choose to value the consequences above the taste. It doesn't mean you eat stuff that doesn't taste good. It means you eat things that are healthy. And then as long as it's healthy, right, you find the things that taste the best. So my salad is like, it's like a gourmet salad. It's amazing. I make it every day. Yeah, no, it's funny. I've had this, uh, I'm, you know, health for me has always been a back and forth thing. Like I'll be really clean, really good for a bit. And then I fall off and I go down this rabbit hole of pints of ice cream all over the floor or whatever the hell it is. Right. Like, but I thought of it like go buttons, right. We're entrepreneurs. So the business terms of it. And I think of it like, like, you know, we are, we are the CEO and our brain is like that, that right-hand man of ours that we listen to. We listen to them. Right. And our brain is going to tell us, eat this food, do that. Like you said, I'm looking at the menu. Yeah. But sometimes as a CEO, you go down to the team, the liver, the lungs, the heart, whatever, and you talk to them and they're like, hey, look, we're working hard for you, but your guy over here is, is telling you the wrong stuff. This is what we need. And sometimes yeah. we have to go down to your point. The con- I like that. Value the consequence. Valuing that consequence means you're listening to the rest of your body as opposed to the brain to say, yeah. okay, my body needs X, whether it's you know a level of fats or, or, or uh, fibers or whatever it may be, right? So it's a fascinating way to put it, value the consequence above the taste because yeah, we are, we'd be holding these, these little white dots on our tongue connected to our brain, like they hold us hostage over, totally. over food. Oh my God, that's well, And consider that the taste of your food benefits you for the duration of eating it. <laughs> True. Yeah. And then you suffer the consequences for the rest of the night and the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah. you got to weigh the pros and the cons, you know? Salad for me tonight, Hal. Thank you. See, yeah, this you is the, the power of masterminding. All right, let's talk real quick about, I want to just ask you this question on the miracle equation. Um, you've got the equation right on the cover. People can know what it is. Unwavering faith yeah. plus extraordinary effort uh, equals the miracle, right? 
When did you realize that equation was in play? I mean, you've applied it. You've always had it. That's what happened back when you had your car accident in Cutco. Great story in here about that last minute sort of, you know, push to sold at the very, very last minute of the deadline. I love it. Love it. Love it. I, I, I hearken back to it. No bullshit all the time. When I, when I uh, think I'm I'm like, uh, I should just stop. No, no, no. That story of Hal's. But when did you realize this was the equation? Because the book to me is equally, if not more powerful than the miracle morning, just for me. Yeah. So when did you realize that was the equation in your life? And when did that come together for you? So the miracle equation, and and for anybody that's not familiar, the subtitle kind of tells you what the book's about, which is it's the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. And if you study the world's most successful people, I find that this is the these are the two decisions they make over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, there's you can't really find someone that's successful unless they happen to get lucky and fall into it that didn't literally make these decisions. Um, so when I was 20, right, that initial story that you just referenced, um, I was trying to break a company record, do something that had never been done in 50 years. And the odds were stacked against me. In fact, they were stacked against me because normally we have, it's a 14 day sales period. And uh, the day before day one, our manager says, hey guys, they just cut this short by uh, four days. We only, you only have 10 days to, to take your goals. And I said, and I was trying to break this record where I was trying to do three of these in a row over a certain threshold that no one had done before. And this was the third one. And I go, no, 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 no. Please tell me that this doesn't count for what he, my manager knew what I was trying to do. I said, please tell me it doesn't count for what I'm trying to do because like, I, I need the full 14 days. I'm, that's not fair. You know? And he goes, sorry, Hal, I checked on it. It is what it is. You, 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 you're, this is it. I go, what I was trying to do was nearly impossible in fact, it's never been done before in 14 days. Right. And you just told me I have 10. And so that night I, I drove home from the meeting and I'm like in my head going, I was so discouraged. I was so, I was mad. I was like this, they, how could they do that to me? That's messed up. And I was thinking about just kind of not doing the goal. And then I remembered something that one of my mentors had taught me. And this is actually a, a Jim Rohn quote uh, or philosophy. The purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. The ultimate purpose is to become the type of person that you need to be that's capable of achieving your goals. So in other words, it's the growth that you experience, that you acquire by giving it everything you have toward a goal, even if you don't end up getting there. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, what if I take that approach? What if I give it everything I have, regardless of my results along the way, even if I'm you know, even if I'm on day nine out of 10 and I'm, you know, I'm not even, I'm only halfway to my goal and there's no way I'm going to achieve it. Mm-hmm. I thought, who would that make me? Like what, who would I become if I could maintain that level of commitment, even in the face of what seems like an impossibility? So I took it on with that. And I asked myself, what, what are the, what's the mindset? I, how do I need to approach this? And those two decisions came up for me. I go, okay, I need to maintain unwavering faith that I can achieve the goal. The way that looked was actually, Whenever I felt doubt, I had to override the doubt or the fear that I was going to miss the goal with verbal faith. Like, no, 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 no. I'm committed to give it everything I have until the last moment. There is no other option. And I just, I said that over and over and over every time I wasn't on track. I had a no sale. I missed an appointment, et cetera. And, and then in the first week I sold $7,000. I was trying to sell, it was Cutco. I was trying to sell $20,000 third time in a row. And I, first week I sold $7,000. So just do the math, right? Now, if you're in real estate, you're like, oh, these are small numbers. I was selling kitchen knives, right? But so I sold $7,000 the first week. Now, remember, I only had 10 days and I was trying to sell $20,000. So I worked my ass off to sell seven grand in seven days. And now I had three days left to sell Mm $13,000. Well, that, that makes no sense. How could, if I gave it everything I had and sold a grand a day, I was on track to sell 10 grand, not 20. But I committed to number one, unwavering faith. I was not allowed to say anything for those 10 days other than I'm going to reach my goal. I'm going to sell $20,000 no matter what. There's no other option. That was my first decision. The second decision was extraordinary effort, right? Ordinary effort is doing what you feel like, right? You give it your, I'm not on track. I'm going to throw in the towel. And once the effort goes, once the faith goes out the window, the effort follows right behind it. And I went, I'm going to, I'm going to, give it everything I have until the last possible moment, even if it doesn't look like it's going to happen. 
And that's so counterintuitive. That is emotionally, that's not how we work. We're not wired to go, hey, there's no chance in hell I'm going to reach this goal. So therefore, I'm going to give it everything I have, right? Like, that, yeah. that's not how we're wired. So it was a real counterintuitive commitment decision. No matter what, I'm going to put forth extraordinary effort and maintain unwavering faith. And in those final three days, I sold $10,000. I ended up being able to squeeze in one last appointment and I ended up selling 3,000. I mean, it's a crazy story. If you can read the book, like book, yeah. it was the most unlikely scenario and it happened. And I ended up at $20,135 in miraculous fashion. And I started calling that my miracle equation. I go, dude, this, I'm going to try this again. And I tried it the next time I had an opportunity and it happened the same way. I wasn't on track. My faith was tested. I continued to maintain those two decisions. And then in the 11th hour, it happened again. So I started teaching it to my clients, my, or my colleagues, all my cut fellow Cutco reps. I gave them coaching on how to do exactly what I did. It wasn't rocket science. It was so simple, right. but so counterintuitive, so not normal. And every single one of my colleagues, they went out and they broke their own personal best or they broke a record. And so then I started approaching it to the rest of my, or applying that to the rest of my life. I applied it to the Miracle Morning. When I published the book, my goal was to sell a million copies the first year. I sold 13,000 copies. Now, I was discouraged. I was 987,000 copies short of my goal. But the Miracle Equation is unwavering faith and extraordinary effort until you achieve your goal, however long it takes. And so I tried year two, didn't do it. I sold like 23,000 copies. I tried year three. It took six years. But the lesson I learned from that, and I really want to impart this lesson on everybody listening. When you finally get to the point that you've been working for in your life, so hard, working so hard for so long, feeling frustrated that it wasn't happening in the timing that you wanted. But if you keep going, you keep maintaining unwavering faith, putting forth extraordinary effort, and then you finally get to that point, you finally reach that goal, you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Instead, you look back and you go, oh, it had to take that many years. It had to take that long. I had to go through those adversities. Now I see, right? Like Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And so for me with the Miracle Morning, it took six years to sell a million copies. But when I finally got there, it wasn't like I was like, dang it, this sucks. I can't believe it took this long, right? No, I was like, oh my gosh, it, it freaking happened. We did it, I did it. It almost was more rewarding that it took six years and that I had to push through so much self-doubt and uncertainty to maintain unwavering faith and put forth extraordinary effort. And finally it happened. And then the last thing I wanna say on that is uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I asked myself, you know, I was given a 20 to 30% chance of surviving, right? Those are horrible odds. It's a 70 to 80% chance I was going to die and leave my seven-year-old daughter without a dad and my four-year-old son without a dad and my wife without a husband, right? I mean, that, those are the odds. Yeah. And the day that I was diagnosed and given those odds, I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, I know, it, I know that 20 to 30% of people that get this cancer survive it. I promise you, in my mind, I'm applying the miracle equation. There is a 100% chance that I will be among the 20 to 30% of the survivors. So yes, statistically 20 to 30%, but for me, it's 100% that I'm in that 20 to 30, period. No other option. And I maintained unwavering faith and I put forth extraordinary effort by doing, like I said earlier, the best of Western medicine, but I did even more that was Eastern you know, and, and holistic. And uh, again, you know, I really believe that when you, when you are one of the few people that is willing to approach your life and your goals with unwavering faith, through all the ups and the downs and the and and and, and the short-term failures, and you're willing to perform the extraordinary effort, even when you don't feel like it, even when it looks like you're not going to reach that goal, and you're willing to maintain those two decisions for as long as it takes, you put yourself in a rare group of people that creates what I call tangible, measurable miracles, which are just simply results that you look back and you go, I can't even believe I did that. That's incredible, right? And you're just astounded that you were able to pull it off. But if you maintain those two decisions, I believe it's inevitable. One, one follow-up on that, and then we'll, we'll, I want to hear more about what you're working on and, and, uh, and, and where you might want to direct people. But when do you, at what point or how do you determine when to maintain that faith and effort towards something versus give up? 
and say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me to, to, to pursue any further? How do you know how to do that? I think there's two answers to that. Um, number one is intuition. I think if we really spend time in silence, which is part of the, you know, the first, yep. the miracle morning is the savers, yes. silence, yep. affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, inscribing. It's that acronym for those six practices. The first one is silence. Wisdom is born in periods of silence. That's why you have your best thoughts in the shower or, you know, when you're falling asleep at night, right? Um, when, when we're all day long looking at our, most of us fill silence with the phone, right? Even if we're not filling it with, with auditory, you know, sound, we're filling it with, with visual stimulation. Most of us are, feel, we, we rarely spend time in peaceful, purposeful, intentional silence. Uh, when you do and you really listen to your intuition and you really allow, you really allow yourself to receive the wisdom that is always available to you, whether it's from, you know, collective consciousness, God, a higher power, or just your own internal intuition. I do believe that it's always there. It's always available to us. We just have to slow down and spend time in silence to listen to it. That's the first answer. Yeah. The second answer is you got to pay attention. Um, with the miracle morning, the reason it became a book, it was my own practice. It wasn't going to be a book. Uh, I taught it to my coaching clients and almost every single one of my clients said, dude, I'm not a morning person. Like this isn't, uh, I don't know, but because I was their coach and I had a little bit of leverage, you know, and influence, I'm like, Hey, commit to it for a week. If it doesn't work for you, you know, uh, it's fine. And I gave them some tips on like, move your alarm clock across the room. So it makes it easier to wake up. Cause you have to get out of bed to turn it off. Like I, I set them up for success. Um, but, uh, I think it was 13 out of 14 clients came back to their next call and said, Hal, I'm a miracle morning guy, like, or gal, like it worked. I am a morning person. I have never been, I'm, I have the best week in my sales career. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm exercising, I'm crushing it. Like I'm, I'm doing the miracle morning and it works. It's amazing. Right. And when that happened, I went, okay, if this miracle morning practice changed my life and I wasn't a morning person far from it. And my, uh, almost all my clients were not morning people. This could change the world. And so then I started sharing it with more and more people on interviews and on in speeches and right and just paying attention to what I call microcosm feedback right that micro feedback and you're going wait a minute there's enough of a sampling of of feedback from what I'm doing right and it might not be you know if you're investing in real estate it might be feedback from your investment strategies right so maybe it's not directly from humans um for me it was people telling me this is changing my life and these were people different ages, different, you know, I mean, really universally, uh, all demographics, you know, different professions, etc. Um, and so, yeah, so that was it. It was really paying attention. And then I went, I have a responsibility to share this with the world. I have to write a book. And then when I, and this is important, that first year, my goal, 1 million, I'm going to change 1 million lives one morning at a time. That was how I phrased my goal. And it was sell a million books. I sold 13,000 books. Now, did I feel discouraged? Absolutely. And, you know, most authors I've talked to when I tell them that, they're like, dude, I would have given up and focused on my next book. But of the 13,000 books that I sold and of the, you know, I don't know, 700 reviews on Amazon, I just read them and they went, this got me off my depression medication. The miracle morning saved my marriage. The miracle morning transformed my life in this way and that way and that way. Right. I just paid attention and I went, okay, even though, I, I was 98.7% short of my goal. It doesn't change that the miracle morning, my idea, my thing, my, my business, my intellectual property, right? It is transforming people's lives. I just got to figure out how to get it to more people. So that was really it. It was, it was paying attention to the feedback from what I was putting out there. That was how I knew, keep on it. And I've, and I've had a lot of ventures where I did something and it was like, eh, yeah, it's okay. Like I've, I've had coaching programs in the past, other stuff, right? But it just, I intuitively knew it wasn't the thing. And I paid attention to the feedback. It's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But you know what? Half of my group coaching clients quit every few months, like right? Like my retention rate's not that great. So I can either keep trying to make it better or I can go, you know what? I'm going to move on to something else until I find the thing that is making the impact that tells me this is the right course. Man. Man, you know what's funny, you know, and I give you a lot of credit in my life for this. I'm one of those million that you've changed lives with. But uh, similarly, I, I uh, with the merch, the GoBundance program that I started with uh, with the with the elders, with Mike and and uh, David and all the others. 
Um, yeah, we sold 30 of them, you know, whatever, 800 bucks a pop, something like that before I even had a course, just like, okay, sure. Yeah. Let's do a beta test, sold 30 of them. We ran people through the 90 day course. And at the end of it, it wasn't like a life changing amount of money to, to make on 30, but the feedback to your point mm. was like, oh, there it is. That's what yep. feels right. This feels right. Maybe quit my job. So I quit yeah. this, you know, multi hundred thousand dollar a year job to do exactly that. But a lot of that was because of the practices that you provided from reading your book, from getting to know more about you because meditation, silence, I do a silent retreat once a quarter, uh, a weekend just nice. to get away and clear my brain. Uh, well, I credit you with that, honestly, because your your influence brought me there. So I love what you just said. Uh, I mean, every bit of it. So anyway, I want to respect your time. Um, what uh, what right now are you working on? What do you want to promote? What do you want to put out there? What, what, is, what should the world get from Hal Red right now? Yeah, I took a sabbatical the second half of 2021. I took six months off. Um, my wife and I bought a 30-acre ranch, and I wanted to support her and get it all set up. Um, and uh, and then going into 2022, I was going to extend the sabbatical. And in December, I just got the message from the universe. It's like, Hal, dude, you got your time off. Like the the world is is in a is challenged right now. And now is not the time to, to take more time off. It's the time to re-engage with the Miracle Morning mission. And, you know, we have millions of people around the world that do the Miracle Morning. Uh, and it just goes back to we've th- 3 million books have been sold, roughly. That means there's 7 billion people that have never heard of the Miracle Morning, that it could change their life in these profound ways that it's changed the lives of so many others. And so that for me is as long as it takes to reach 7 billion people, I have a feeling that I'll be doing podcast interviews when I'm in my 90s, right? Going, all right, we still got a couple billion people that don't know about the Miracle Morning. Um, so that's really it. I'm just, I'm really focused on that. This is our 10-year anniversary of the book, December. We, we I published Miracle Morning originally 12-12-12, 12-12-2012. Um, and so uh, this year will be the 10-year anniversary and I'm going to publish a brand new uh, or new updated and expanded edition. And so, yeah, we launched an a few more things. The Miracle Morning movie, you mentioned that earlier, that is now on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. If you go to miraclemorning.com, that's the hub to find everything. All the books are there. um, The movie's there. We launched the Miracle Morning app in January, just a month and a half ago. It has 10,000 users. So that's super exciting. Um, And uh, and then the Miracle Morning community, we have a Facebook group with 330,000 members from 200 plus countries that wake up every day and support each other. And it's a really great, engaging, supportive, inspiring group to be a part of. So again, go to miraclemorning.com and there's a bunch, you know, you can get free stuff there, free resources, but that's a great hub to find everything, the Miracle Morning and the, you know, there's the Miracle Equation, the book that we talked about. uh, That's on the, you know, you can find that on the Miracle Morning website too. Got it right here behind the mic. I'll put it out in front for the YouTube channel. So there you uh, go. Awesome. Amazing. Honestly, all of your books, I have three of them over here, are all incredible. Hal, I really appreciate the gift of your time today. And thanks so much for all of your knowledge, all of your wisdom, and for, for all of your energy. It's just, wow, you're engaging in that way. So thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate you, brother. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 